Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Civil War Regiments podcast. Um, I have a special episode tonight with uh, some friends of mine who are also fellow living historians, uh, both in Georgia. We have Herb Coates and Austin Mitchum, and they're both members of the Army Guards Living History uh, Organization. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, living history, and then we're also going to talk about Georgia uh, history in the Civil War. Uh, maybe cover some battles, campaigns, regiments, and topics about Georgia. Um, we'll see uh, what all we can discuss in a short amount of time. So, uh, well, welcome. Welcome, Herb and Austin. Glad to have you guys on, finally. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hello, and it's uh, Georgia first, by God. That's right, that's right. And so, yeah, the, you guys have to outdo the Florida episode that we did. So, uh, I'll leave it up to you guys. <laughs> we'll do, we will do our best, but it's hard to outdo Florida man's. Yeah, oh, they're yeah. on their own plane of existence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, um, <laughs> I do have to say um, uh, one side note I, I want to kind of start with, and I don't know if either of you have heard about this, but um, Netflix just came out with a, a new uh, rendition of All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a World War One movie. Um, and I caught the first half of it last night and I really, really enjoyed it. I haven't finished it yet. Maybe I'll finish it later on. But um, I was really impressed with it so far. But the, the reason I bring this up is um, I, I appreciate any project and a, a film like that that really just shows you the life of a soldier and the daily grind of a soldier. And, and we know that World War I soldiers aren't that far removed from uh, soldier life in the Civil War. And uh, they really just focus on a lot of detail um, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with this show or not. Yeah, I actually watched it on Sunday and then um, I'm rewatching it again. And before we got on this podcast, I was in the middle of watching it and paused it again. So definitely, definitely, like you said, the details, attention to details. I think it's I've kind of done a little research on the book. I've never actually read the book through. There are some <laughs> plot differences in everything. But as far as like, like you said, the details, the experiences, I do think they tried to like capture that and stuff and there's some i mean there's some gut-wrenching scenes in that show in the movie they made me like oh my gosh like that's brutal you know yeah uh, yeah so and you're uh, street for finishing that well it really um um it really just goes to show you that warfare i mean not much changes from war to war right i mean uh the things that soldiers have to deal with even today there's things that a guy can relate to in combat today to to life of a soldier in the 1860s. And, um, but the one thing that really struck out in that movie was the opening scene that, that shows you a uh, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen, but it's like uh, that part where um, they have that battle scene at the very beginning, that guy gets killed and you see his body and then uh, they take his uniform off and then they recycle the uniforms of all the dead soldiers. They wash out all the blood. And then the new brand new regiment, it's issued uh, a quote unquote new uniform. Um, that was really just, I, I was really glad that they added that detail. And that's something that you would think maybe some people would skip over. Like if like, that's the kind of stuff that Hollywood seems to skip over sometimes, yeah. but I was really appreciative that they put something like that in there to really just give an understanding right off the, the bat. Yeah. It, and it's almost the part that I kind of, I guess the s cinematic kind of, detail of it the the industrialization of it right the it's 
it's a machine. Like it just keeps going. The men are the the parts that are the grease yeah. wheels, you yeah. know. Just the machine just keeps cooking, keeps going along, and they just you cycle. And that's the what I got out of that scene. It was it was an amazing scene. So yeah, so I highly uh, encourage anyone to to check that out. It's on Netflix now. Um, I always appreciate a good uh, war movie that really just uh, brings some authenticity to the to the table. So uh, so I know this was a little side note, but I just wanted to lead with that because it's a hot topic lately, and and uh, I can't wait to finish it myself. But but guys, uh, so that kind of uh, in a way is a segue to uh, my first question for you both, and because I know sometimes movies are in relation to this, but I always like to begin with asking my guests, you know, how did you find your interest in civil war history? Where did it all begin for you? And a lot of times it is a historical movie or, or a book that grabs our attention. So, um, Herb, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, when did it kind of, um, at an early age or when did you kind of find your interest in civil war history? Well, in the beginning, Steve, <laughs> uh, so I'm, I am, one of those guys that's actually from the Atlanta metro area. I grew up around Stone Mountain. So trips to Stone Mountain Park almost every weekend because that train is hotness. That train <laughs> is still going even today. But, um, it, I'd go there and they had the, everybody thinks of the carving, of course, but they had this uh, awesome diorama. Well, it's a little kidney. It was awesome. It was the war in Georgia. And you'd go in, and it was like the old Battle Above the Clouds, Confederate lookout. And it had the soldiers on this big map of Georgia, and it, it would light up and show the movements as they went from North Georgia to Atlanta, and then from Atlanta down to Savannah. So that got me. Uh, that's one of the hands-on, tangible things. And then uh, I went to, uh, of course, the train ride. And back in the day, <laughs> they used to have Confederates and cowboys and allegedly Indians get on. And uh, yeah, it was like Confederates versus that. Indians. Yeah, or something so, like that. And it's like, and sometimes it'd be cowboys. Sometimes it'd be like the Great Locomotive Chase or something like that. <laughs> like to little kid me, it all kind of blurs together. So there's that. So there is a live action thing going on with uh, cap guns and dudes in costumes. So I'm just like, all right, this is cool. Little kid. Me. <laughs> uh, maybe even today, big kid me would think it was pretty cool. But um, uh, also visiting uh, different sites like Kennesaw Mountain. And most of my family is uh, also up around where my mom's and my dad's side, up around Nashville, Central mm -hmm. Tennessee. So Stones River and the Carter House in Franklin. I visited them, uh, those places, quite a bit. And uh, moving on to what you asked me, movie, <laughs> poor soldiers, the greatest Civil War movie about Garrison's cavalry raid of all time. I don't care what Adam Clark says, he's wrong and should be shunned forever. Adam, ding dong, ding dong, yeah, Adam's a friend of ours from Kentucky, but uh, <laughs> the great locomotive chase with uh, Best Parker, oh, yeah, Davy yeah. Crockett on a train. You see where this is going with trains, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Your and, connection uh, with Walter. Yeah, I, no, Walt. Yeah, Walter's legit. His legit of a uh, love of trains. I'm, I, I feel him, man. But uh, and well, this movie didn't have any trains. It was Glory, but that, oh, was, like, yeah. that was like the first one in theater that I remember going to see, and just like my it like instantly clicked with me. And um, 
and my grandparents saw that I had a love of history. It wasn't just Civil War, it's all history. So I had like a book on the American Revolution. I got a couple of books, I still have these books on like World War II aircraft carriers and battleships. And then I have this blue book, The Picture History of the Civil War, that my grandmother gave me for either my birthday or Christmas. And I went through it so many times that we had to like, like a uh, masking tape, that thing back together. That uh, I still have this thing. So I was in pretty early. Yeah. And I, I really do think uh, that that goes for, for most of us. It always, it seems to get us at an early age and um, it's really a unique uh, thing like that. It seems like you kind of have to get into it at an early age sometimes and to really uh, get so involved as we are sometimes, <laughs> but, but yeah, you're right. It's a lot of it is the movies and stuff that uh, get our attention. You're fortunate to live, close to battlefields and stuff and and uh and glory i mean glory still holds up today but, uh, but no um i i really i really encourage anyone to watch uh glory too because I, what i like about glory is you know we're talking about regiments a lot but uh glory is just one of the only war movies that really focuses on the life of one regiment in a, in a certain amount of time but i mean even though they're talking about you know the first full-fledged african-american regiment you can really a lot of the things that they deal with in that show you can relate to army life in the civil war and so it's just a really good um a movie to kind of show you uh, the functioning of a regiment um we get a little bit of that in gettysburg but other than that um i think laurie is probably your best bet for soldier life in the civil war almost but uh, yeah with all that being said austin i know uh you have some similar background to her, yeah. but if you'd like to talk a little bit about uh, what got you involved. Yeah. So um, it's similar in ways to Herb's a little different. So like uh, I've always loved history. My, my favorite class was history. I remember I could remember my social studies book and going through and remembering exactly the civil war parts, but it being like the most just blanket brief thing. And then I just, for whatever reason, I just really loved history movies. And I remember seeing, you know, Saving Private Ryan. I probably watched mm. that at a very young age, probably too young. <laughs> but, uh, you know, then I would play World War II for a while. Then I remember seeing The Patriot. And then, you know, I started playing, uh, you know, Revolutionary War kind of stuff and reading all up on that. And then um, and then my grandmother, um, she uh, she saw – she there was a reenactment at the horse park, um, which was about five minutes away uh, – it was the year that they shot Sweet Home Alabama there, or maybe it was the year before. But uh, she was like, hey, do you want to go to this? And I was like, okay. Um, so she took me and two of my friends to it, and I was like, it blew my mind away. I was like, oh, my gosh, you mean, like, there's, like, people playing Army? Like, like <laughs> playing Army? Heck, yeah. And then I think the next year I started, like, from that point, I was, like, just ingrained in the Civil War. My Then my other grandparents, they took me up to um, – to Chickamauga, they they love doing like horse uh, horse trail riding. Like they go out west for like months at a time, just riding horses all over. But they took me up to Chickamauga, and I didn't have a huge grasp of it. But I remember riding around, seeing cannons, seeing monuments. You know, recognizing. I mean, the Florida Monument there is probably the first monument that I can remember ever mm -hmm. seeing. Um, obvious, other than like you know the carving at Stone Mountain and stuff. But you know. Um, then my aunt took me to, you know, started taking me to Stone Mountain because, you know, back then it was more like Civil War uh, centered. You know, now it's more of just like recreational state park kind of thing with trails and biking. But, you know, back then it was 
you know, you had the plantation, you had, um, you know, all the, the, the drills there. Like there was a, a mainstream unit that used to do drills every, I want to say it was like every, at least once a month there. And like, I, I want to say it was the 42nd Georgia mainstream event, uh, mainstream unit there. Um, oddly enough, I had, I have relatives in that regiment historically. Um, didn't know about it at the time, but just like seeing that. And then, yeah, I just, man, I was in it and then just started reading books and anything I could get my hand on the, um, I think my first set of books were, you know, like if you go to the, the national battlefield, do you remember there's like these little, almost like magazines yeah, specifically yeah. on the battle. And I remember they were, I think they were free or maybe they were like a dollar or something like they were really cheap. I remember like anytime, anywhere I saw those, I would get those and just read about the battle and, you know, from there, then, then I got into reenacting and then I was really hooked. So <laughs> that's kind of how mine went. I just kind of, like your very first point, I, I watched historical movies and would just read about whatever movie I'd watched. And then obviously, I, you know, Civil War came along, went to a reenactment, got into Glory, got into Gettysburg. I mean, it, when I was younger, when Gods and Generals came out, like now I'm not the hugest fan of just the way the movie is, but just like seeing the scale of stuff, I thought was, you know, that really got me into it was movies. Um, and then, you know, since then, I just, anything historically related i buy i my library of regimental books is just growing <laughs> and stuff but you start getting into more details you know as a i at one point in my life i loved you know the campaigns the big picture stuff and now i get to where those really bore me you know and i got to like i like reading the regimental histories or the memoirs like the really the personal stuff you know that you don't really you, you don't get in a campaign book you know you hear about armies moving but you know when you start hearing about you know this guy was going over a fence and he fell over the fence and then a bullet you know shot through a you know a sling of whatever was holding him on the fence and he fell down like that stuff's that blows my mind that kind of stuff there but yeah oh, that's okay. kind of i mean those little that's kind of i guess you, you you evolve as with your interest in history you know it goes from one thing and then you find a little thing you get into and then never stops yeah it never stops exactly and there's always something new you know but and you have to you have to get in you have to start somewhere and so uh, we all whether it's a movie or or our first reenactment you all start somewhere yeah and and i I totally agree with uh, a lot of things you said is exactly how i got started austin and um yeah for me gaza generals was like the first big epic like a, a civil war movie in, in my lifetime that I was able to see like brand new when it came out. And yeah, uh, and it I had was, intermission it, in the middle of it. I remember that it was the first. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I think me and like, it was like me my dad and one other guy in the whole movie theater watching it. And yeah, uh, yeah it was, it was tough, but I think we also are spoiled because we grew up in a time with movies like glory and Gettysburg and, and uh gods and generals and all these, you know, movies that, you know, we don't have as many of those coming out now, but, oh. but then every now and then we get like a, we're starting to see a lot more World War One movies that so, but it's still history for us. It's still military history and we still feel drawn to that. If I ever and, get into any other version of civil war or any other version of reenacting, it'll be World War One. Like yeah. that blows my mind. That stuff is cool. Up in, what is it like Newtown, Pennsylvania? They have. Yeah. Yeah. They do something. That, would, that would be my, that, that's the only other thing I would get into. I mean, revolution would be cool, but it's just, the price tags on the stuff turns me off. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
sure, for sure. And uh, and like you said, man, I, I totally agree uh, with the firsthand accounts. Like, I'm at a point now where I'm really just reading, and I know some people can, you know, uh, uh, the later you get, the the older the veterans get when they're writing. I know it can be a little hazy <laughs> the, the yeah. stuff, but I still really appreciate reading the eyewitness accounts versus. Yeah. um uh, a secondary source you know and so that's my favorite thing now and that's why uh i'll do a shameless plug real quick about my project uh, i really can't wait to release it is uh my gettysburg <laughs> project because everyone else has done so many just battle narratives at gettysburg and whatnot but i really want to bring to life each regiment at gettysburg and and uh so what i'm doing is like i'm piecing together snippets from a lot of these diaries and memoirs and like making an archive for each regiment at Gettysburg and kind oh, of wow. giving you just a little glimpse of what every point of view was from every regiment at Gettysburg. And, and so I, I can't wait to do that, but that's really neat uh, and unique. I'm going to uh, blow both your minds for a minute here. <laughs> I've never been to stone mountain. <laughs> really? It, you know, it's not, it's when I went to school in Mississippi, like I thought everybody knew about stone mountain. And I get to Mississippi and people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it doesn't blow my mind as much as it did about 10 years ago. So Yeah. But uh, I, okay. I may have gone when I was like a year or two old, you know, yeah. but like, I don't remember. I'd have to go back sometime, but yeah, it just never, uh, never made it back out there uh, all these years. So uh, next time I drive through that area, I got to pay homage at some point. <laughs> so wild story. Um, my family actually used to own Stone Mountain before the Civil War. Oh, and, wow. And sold it shortly after, or, or traded it shortly after. Um, so so the car carvings there before the Civil War? No, 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 no. The carving was oh. not there until, what, the 50s, I, I, I think? <laughs> um, well, the, the one that's there was completed uh, early 70s. Yeah. Uh, it started... Borglum started it in like the 19 teens and that got he didn't get too far until he ran off to uh Rushmore and yeah. uh, they black like the the next guy that came through uh I think it was Hancock then Walker there's two two other heads and of the carving and they blasted Borglum's like Robert E Lee head off and they started yeah. a new <laughs> Yeah so wow. so yeah. pre pre war uh one of my like family branches, I should say, it wasn't, it's not my direct line. It's uh, Andrew Johnson, I think was his name. They owned the mountain and then they owned where the modern day, like um, the green is for the laser show and all that. So originally there was a hotel up on where the, I guess that museum to the, to the mountain carving is at, there was a hotel there and people would come stay yeah. and, you know, hike the mountain or whatever. Um, and that's how they made money. But then after the war, I mean, the, 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 the South is so destitute. Nobody's really leisurely traveling. So they're not making any money. So they actually, they traded the property for a shotgun and a mule. Um, or so the story goes. That's I, And I do have family documentation on that, that that says it was traded. I think there was a little bit of other stuff, but like it's the shotgun and the mule that actually makes it. I'm sure there was some money involved in well as well. But um, that was after the war. And then obviously the state eventually buys it and turns it into a state park and, you know, all is, all is what it is now. But yeah, that's a, that's one of the ties I have to stone mountains. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. And so, yes. So just to confirm, they, they did not carve that during the siege of Atlanta. 
No, they yeah. did not. It was okay. not a memorial and stiff <laughs> resistance to Sherman's occupation of his house. <laughs> the big Civil War middle finger of a carving. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. But uh, no, no, that's hilarious. But, uh, well, all right, guys. I kind of want to segue into both of your uh, journeys and hobby into uh, living history. Uh, you're both, uh, all of us are, are more or less uh, members and associated with the uh, Armory Guards Living History Organization, and I know Herb, you're not as active as you you were in the Living History uh, hobby, but but you were there <laughs> way back when. And so, could you talk a little bit about uh, the Army Guards and and it's a little bit of its history, how it was formed, and maybe some of your favorite events uh, over the years? Certainly. So we're going to go back to the 20th century, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. 1997, uh, my mother said that I could not sit at home all summer when I had graduated from uh, high school. And she said I needed a hobby. So I went out and finally did the thing that I've been thinking about, just find a reenacting group and go for it. So I called up the Atlanta History Center, and they directed me to a guy named Stephen Brown and Jeff Grantham of the Company G 10th Texas. Yeah, Texas and Georgia, that's Granberry's Brigade. So these guys were the quote-unquote hardcores at the time in the 90s. So I kind of have a weird track into reenacting. I started out as a quote-unquote hardcore authentic. Always been like that. So that's very different from most people I know in the hobby. Yeah. Yeah. so we were there. We operated out of Pickett's Mill State Park, uh, State Battlefield Park, quite a bit. I mean, we were pretty much there every month or every two months. So, and the funny thing is, is we didn't really do the big battle events like Resaca or uh, what else used to be like the Jonesburg, the horse, the horse park. Yeah, the... yeah, horse park. So it wasn't until 1999 until I actually went to my first big battle reenactment up at Averysboro, North Carolina. And it was a lot of fun. They let us dig in our like rifle pits and trenches there. And I had a really good time. But uh, so as all groups and kind of where I'm at right now, it's like all the old guard got older. They got disinterested or like me, family and uh all the kids, my kids are getting older, so they're involved with stuff like scouting and cross country now. So my uh, weekend time is very limited. Uh, so those guys aged out or kind of stepped back, and it was like me and Trip Corbin, Art Milbert, Alan Beckton, and uh, James Wooten, uh, who was the ranger at the mill at that time. We were working with like Robbie Mitchell and uh the state line guys and we were working with clint or mumford as we know him and jason mm-hmm. scoggins and they those were other guys that were working out of a uh, new hope and pickett's mill out in that part of uh northwest atlanta and a couple guys matt grubb and a couple guys down in central georgia uh, ian mcmullen used to do stuff with them i know i'm dropping a bunch of names and i'm sure your audience is going to be like who are these guys but we just did stuff together and we kept doing that for about two or three years. We finally just said, why don't we just form a group? So we, and like the thing is like, it's kind of a holdover from the uh, Centennial and the 125th and the 130th. Everybody had 
like a unit designation, like Company G, 10th Texas, or 42nd Georgia, 53rd Georgia. But we decided to do Armory Guards because we don't do the same impression every event. Uh, mm-hmm. We might do U.S. or militia, uh, one, two, three, four events in a row, switching Confederate militia, uh, Georgia State Line, that type of thing. So we got the generic name, Armory Guards. Uh, Kev Thomason came up with that name. Good old Kev. Okay. And, so it's yeah. not named after a, a specific armory somewhere. Yeah, uh, no, it was we thought of like company names or some of these oddball uh, state militia names because of the uh, cooking brother or like Ferdinand Cook, cooking brothers armory. He had a battalion of guards and uh, that were they were the mechanics and rifle makers and they they turned out when Athens was threatened during a uh, Capron's raid out to uh, out in this like they don't know actually that was after a uh, Stoneman's raid and they got Capron got way off course and ended up uh, out in, near Winder Jug Tavern but uh, anyway sorry tangent but yeah so we thought Armory Guards it, it made sense because we were in the state we were focusing on a lot of Georgia related things so uh, we kind of took the nod from like the Ag- Athens and Augusta battalions that basically made up the workforce of these armories. And I like that. It's cool because uh, you are kind of uh, bringing in a generic thing while also recognizing a lot of that um, history ar- around Georgia and the various uh, militias and aspects there. And so, yeah, where'd you go uh, from there? So you guys, you know, you, you find a name for yourself and a group and and then the armory guards just flourishes from there. <laughs> well, no, we we had connections with a lot of groups. We worked with the Georgia Volunteer Battalion, which is one of the big, I guess, like I want to call it mainstream groups in in the state of Georgia. They hit up all the big battle reenactments. We had definitely had ties to the old Western Independent Greys, uh, like kind of more campaigner, authentic style uh, group that. It was a group of three to four companies that would come together a couple times a year and do more living histories or the uh, immersive style of events. So we knew a lot of folks out in this part of the uh, region. And we, of course, we have our friends out east and our friends out in the Transmiss as well. So um, it just oh. it just worked. And like we had like Trip and I, the old Tent Texas had kind of been a core component of one of the wig companies so we just kind of rolled that forward uh from two thousand in 2007 and like okay. two, the big shiloh uh that we did there was a federal living history at shiloh in 2007 and we did that was kind of like our big push of the armory guards having a big core component of a company out there so uh that's kind of the basics on where the armory guards started and where it kind of built steam leading into the 150s um sure and so leading into that leading into some of the 150th cycles and or even some of the older cycles um uh what are maybe um one or two of uh your personal favorite um events uh that the army guards was able to be part of uh-oh yeah. so i split it into living history battle events and immersive events so i went big i actually have notes by the way well, you 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 dive into whatever you want to dive in, man. Yeah, man. Uh, living histories, it'd be like 
all the pickets, all these different pickets mill events we did where we approached it from USCS, mm. uh, different regiments, did battle movements, did static stuff. So a ton of stuff there from like 1997 to 2014. Uh, I did at least three events out there. Uh, Peter Ridge in like 2009, we went out to Peter Ridge. That was one of the coolest battlefields I've ever been to. And we, we focused on one company of Arkansas men. And then we had another group of guys doing kind of like the Missouri state guard. And those are all the transmiss guys. And it was a really cool mobile living history. Uh, we went from the Lee town portion of the battlefield where McIntosh, McIntosh and McCulloch forces were fighting uh, the uh, federals on the, within the federal left. And then we marched right next to the Ridge over to Elkhorn Cavern where Price's men came up on the U.S. right flank. So it was really neat. It was a really, and a very cold weekend. This is a weekend where we drove through a snowstorm to get to the battlefield park. So that's also the infamous uh, Bart with two T's at the uh, West Memphis, Arkansas Cracker Barrel incident. Never be rude to your servers as Kiev learned. (laughs) <laughs> and i can't go into the super detail here because it's probably not good for the entire audience but never be rude to your servers especially at the cracker barrels but um some of the other living histories i really like uh out east uh, jerry styles had a when he was still doing stuff he ran the best living histories at uh antietam and they were both mobile the ones i went out to one year we did uh, focused on units and the uh, sunken road and we did demos in the sunken road and then one year we did second georgia by god overlooking burnside's bridge had one of the best battalion drills i've ever been uh ever been a part of it was really great weekend never hurts that the weather was perfect too <laughs> but uh shaker villages uh shaker village they used to do really awesome quasi living history immersive style event in central kentucky we marched historically confederates marched through this uh shaker community and we we were portraying that and it was civilian the people that worked there as the shakers and us as the military reenactors it was it was amazing and it's one of those just highlight moments and we were able to do three events there uh and for going into the 150 is the, uh, the uh, what do they call it, the uh, prevent the effusion of blood because all the living history has got to have awesome names attached <laughs> to them. It was basically the evacuation of Fort Moultrie to Fort Sumter. And, oh, yeah. 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 And Pete Berezik and Greg Dees had a really big part in putting this together. And we garrisoned, like I was, we were portraying, some of us were portraying the U.S. Garrison, so that's Brian Hicks was portraying Robert Anderson. Uh, Rob Murray was portraying uh, Doubleday. I was portraying uh, Jefferson C. Davis. And so, it, I mean, like we had our guys we were portraying, and we tried to stick to that for the entire time. But we were at Moultrie. We set guard, and we packed everything up, got on the uh, steamer, and we went across Charleston Harbor, and it was a very rough boat crossing. But the cool thing was, is they, the steamer, the little, well, it's not a steamer, it's a paddle, modern day tour boat, but they turned all the lights off except for the uh, mandated uh, 
mandated lights you need to keep on. And it was really neat. So we got off at the pier at Fort Sumter, and Rob is do- or uh, Rob had us form up. Well, Rob is double day, and Brian Hicks is Anderson told us to storm the fort because we knew that the uh, per history there were some uh, not storm the fort, but marched very quickly into the fort because the workers that were on the in the fort, like preparing the fort as contractors, they had southern sympathies, and we needed to round them up because yeah. we, didn't, we couldn't have that in the fort. But it was really cool. And this was all wow. at night, and we got this wind whipping off the harbor, so it really added to this event. But besides, like, the living histories, uh, battle events, uh, I like the, all the Perryvilles I've ever been to, 01, 02, and 2016, amazing events. Like, I didn't really get a feeling that it was kind of hokey or anything like that. It felt like we're moving over the actual battlefield. We're doing the tactics. It, pretty intense even though i mean for a guy portraying a civil war soldier it was it, i got into it really well the um maryland my maryland 150th event that was really good that cornfield event uh scenario sunday morning where like the temperature and the humidity was just so that every time you fired like this big fog just kept hanging over the cornfield they had planted and i was like wow all right this is this is pretty spot on. That's one. That's one I wish uh, I had been part of way back when, because uh, yeah. I always hear, hear a lot about that one. Yeah, it, it was it was such a really cool experience. Uh, the one fiftieth Bermuda Hundred event that John Pagano put on with Chesterfield County, that was the a really cool event where we had spectators, but John was leading them on these walking tours, and we were doing like a fatigue details, skirmishing, uh, uh, reconnaissance and force probe, digging in, but they were off to the side and not getting in our way or walking in between the lines. And we were able to conduct ourselves like as soldiers digging in or doing all these different like patrols or uh, picket duty and stuff like that. And that was really cool. And that really sticks out. And that was like a one fiftieth event. And, um, I always had a good time at the Fort McAllister events, and that's kind of a hybrid event because it's more of a living history until Saturday afternoon when you do the actual assault on the fort. Uh, This is that fort that's outside of Savannah for the folks that are listening that don't know. This is pretty much the end of Sherman's Savannah campaign, March to the Sea. So I enjoy the big battle events too, but I'm kind of choosy about what I go to as well because since I said I started in 1997, things start to get yeah. repetitive, and then it's like, all right, I've done this before. But uh, with I wanted to save this for last with events, the immersive-style events. Uh, these are really cool, and they're really hard to pull off, too, because everybody has to buy in. Uh, mm-hmm. You get the guys you're portraying, you do research on it, and you go in with the expectation everybody's going to do try to do as good as you are. It kind of becomes sometimes you're like, okay, is this like bad community theater? But the one it's <laughs> like a uh, winter of '64 that you know, we uh, that was hosted by the Columbia Rifles in 2009, I think. Yeah, they had there were some guys that were part of the Columbia Rifles uh, Columbia Rifles group up in New Fane, New York. They had this winter quarters set up that looked like Army of the Potomac winter quarters, and we were portraying a unit from the. Um, it was the 151st New York, two companies, and we just did soldier's life in this camp, winter encampment for 
four and a half days and everybody was in first person. I was Corporal Selden Goddard of New York. And um, it was just an amazing experience. Uh, Picket, standing picket, doing fatigue details, uh, getting into shenanigans, uh, Kiev getting into shenanigans. Again, this is something I can't really talk about on the podcast, but (laughs) a lot of shenanigans. (laughs) <laughs> but uh it was very cool and very cold uh yeah it got down to 16 degrees and me being from the south i was like oh god what's happening here <laughs> we were all in cabins and tents and we had like fireplaces in there and we were fine uh the piney woods event that the uh, texas ground hornets hosted that was a uh it was supposed to be sunday to saturday this crazy weather thing came through and kind of killed the last day but that's okay because it was basically like Sunday to Friday morning, just being out in the woods, portraying an advanced unit. We were doing U.S. and we had guys uh, portraying C.S. and we were probing against this retreating, like it was Taylor's men retreating up the Red River type of situation. And um, this is the uh, 1864 Red River campaign. And it was just, you're in the woods, you're putting all the knowledge you have from drill and, and campaign and camp and mess cooking together. This is all put to the test. And that was the best part for me. And like, there are some guys talking modern stuff here and there, but most of the time we were just too busy to talk anything modern because it's got to go and pick it. Got to get together and help prep the food. We got to get firewood <laughs> and that type of thing. So it was it was amazing. Marmaduke's raid events out in Missouri that Frank Offmuth put on. It was elements of this dismounted Texas cavalry going up against Missouri militia that were U.S. Uh, Missouri militia. And it's out in this rugged southeastern Missouri foothills. Of the, and it, it, it was just really neat. In both events that we did out there, there was a new moon. So at night, it's just bumbling around in the darkness. <laughs> the, uh, the Like one of the Probably much the, my best immersive event was Asaba Island. We did a picket post out on this Georgia Barrier Island, uh, south of Savannah. There's nothing on this island. It's a, just a wildlife uh, management area. And uh, Robbie Mitchell was in charge of this. And Robbie, working with Danny Brown, who used to be the ranger at Fort McAllister, he, um, we got on the uh, the island, the uh, park's boat, and they took us out to the island, and we were out there for a weekend doing a picket post, and there was just nothing out there, and it was it was amazing. Just uh, we had to watch out for rattlesnakes and alligators and demon had, raccoons. Yeah, the demon raccoon of Osaba. But that was the event. <laughs> like uh, Robbie, had to keep us in scenario, and said we're looking for blockade runners. Be on the lookout. And Saturday night. I was corporal of the guard and I see this flare go off out in the ocean, like a red flare goes off. And I'm like, what is going on here? So I was like, uh, officer of the guard started calling for the officer of the guard. We woke Robbie up and Robbie's like, I didn't, I didn't call for that. And apparently there was a ship out for real that was having under distress and the coast guard had to come out. We saw this. So wow, <laughs> it was one of those like fortuitous things that, that sticks with me. And then uh, I was corporal of the guard on the uh, early morning shift, so I got to see the sun come up over the ocean. So <laughs> that's pretty amazing. So yeah. those, are, those are like the events that really stick with me. And, you know, uh, we are, as living historians and reenactors and whatever, we're, we're really fortunate 
to be in in many circumstances like that to uh, to see these things and and uh, do things that people sometimes haven't done in 150 years and on the on the actual sites and locations and um, we're really fortunate to be able to have these opportunities and I know uh, I've shared uh, a few of these uh, in, in different aspects and um, yeah that's something that um, hardcore authentics uh, that we get to do we get to really um, get as close as we can, as we possibly can, to what uh, soldier life was like on campaign or in camp during the Civil War for the average Civil War soldier. And so uh, um, I've been fortunate to be part of, of some of the events, uh, especially uh, we both shared in uh, Wallhatchie, <laughs> which <laughs> I would just uh, did Wallhatchie have a name? Did we have a special name for Wallhatchie? <laughs> Yeah, rain hatchy, woo hatchy, or excuse me, <laughs> woo hatchy. That's right. That's right. Oh my yeah. gosh! And that one wasn't near as cold, uh, I'm sure, as uh, your New York escapade. Uh, but uh, it was still pretty cold out there, cold and rainy. Yeah, that's rainy, the but... worst of combinations. Yeah, <laughs> but hey, I still had a good time, and we never forgot that one, man. Agreed. And, uh, Agreed. Any, anytime you get to portray a regiment from the old 12 Corps is a uh, it's a pleasure to me. So, uh, yes. so I was glad to do it. Glad to do it. But, uh, but, uh, moving on kind of to, uh, um, as you alluded to already, uh, and after the kind of one fifty cycles, things kind of slow down for you, Herb, and yeah. it, you're not totally inactive, just life happens. And that goes for a lot of reenactors. And, but Austin, um, you've been long-term, uh, reenacting for a little while now, but, uh, I'd like to kind of talk to you about the Army Guards at present and um, where uh, where the Army Guards are now, where they're going, uh, what some of the goals are right now for the future, and also maybe some of your favorite um, current events uh, in the last couple of years. Yeah, so um, Army Guards at present. So kind of, I guess, one of our 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 goals is kind of getting the getting the spark back for some of our members that uh, you know maybe they they do get like you know life catches up with you and stuff and, and kind of getting some of our guys back and getting kind of core like you know we had um, you know Dylan come out um, back in September for Distant Thunder you know we I hadn't seen him in a, a while you know and, and just yeah. trying to get some of our guys in that you know southeast you know Georgia you know the south carolina alabama area and just kind of getting guys back into it because you know there's a lot always the concentration oh we got to get new guys oh we got to get new guys um i think just as important if not more important is is you know keeping in touch with your the, the guys that are there you know um and you know some of them i mean heck man my best friends are in reenacting and sometimes you know you don't see a guy for a year and then all of a sudden they come back and you're, I mean, it's like you never left, you know, it was like the lot, mm-hmm. like it's just that connection. So um, that's from a, from a membership kind of standpoint is just kind of collecting ourselves up. Um, we're trying to uh, focus and getting some more Georgia local stuff. That's one of kind of our goals been kind of talking about trying to get some ideas of some more local stuff. Cause as of late, the the kind of flavor of reenacting is going, going where the, we'll call it the quote unquote best events are at or the biggest events, which at present have been predominantly, you know, on the east or up in Virginia or you know down at Blakely and, and some in Tennessee. And so we've been traveling more 
um, than, than local. So we do want to kind of get some local living history stuff, uh, <clears throat> back in, back in the works. So, I mean, that's kind of where we're at presently, really. Um, you know, that's, I mean, I don't want to lie or fluff anything up that say, Oh, you know, we're, we got, you know, 50 people all at every single event, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not that case sometimes you're working with a mess you have guys and and that's what you know kind of goes through and then you you kind of grow and and units go through those transitions of high turnout low turnout but the thing is you want to have a good core so we're just kind of wanting to expand that core you know we got guys now that have been falling in with us for two or three events from you know up in the pacific northwest um some good guys are i wouldn't i don't i mean they're i mean they're not technically ag members but they've fallen in with us quite a few times now and you know building those kind of cool connection um a guy uh willie in canada has come with us and, and gone to events with us so we're ag or international now i guess you could say um worldwide uh but yeah that's kind of the the current state of uh state of the organization um and you know you have little sub mess groups you know um within it and you know this is you know, that's the thing is, is getting the guys back together, getting the band back together, so to speak, or I guess would be the way I would describe it. So, and getting more local than we have been in the last two, three years, I suppose. But Austin, uh, how about some of your, uh, we've been really fortunate this year to be, uh, at some great opportunities, but, uh, what would have been, uh, what's one or one or two of your, I would say, I mean, my, one of my, the ones that stick in mind, I, I, that Kentucky picket post event that we did, um, heck, when was that? In 2018 or 17, I think. Up at, uh, 2016. That was 2016 up in uh, Dover, Tennessee. Yeah. So that was a that was a really cool event. I guess I don't know if that counts as present, but uh, oh yeah, that counts. <laughs> that one was really. I like the ones where I get to do stuff personally. Um, you know, it kind of it it changes over time. Like. Like you have your, you know, your, your hoot and shoots, your living histories. Like for me, the big thing that I love doing is the stuff where you get to, you know, work on a little bit of everything. You know, you get to work on drill, you get to work on your field craft, you know, you get to work on cooking, you get to, you know, have the boredom time. Like I like all that combination. That, that event was really good with that. Cause we got to work on, uh, you know, trenches and picket post locations and, and that, that was a cool one. Um, Blakely, not last year's, but the, the year or the two years before that, I guess that would have been, let's see here. The last one was 21. So the one before that would have been 2019. I did federal, um, us and some of the Florida guys all fell in together and we all had, uh, repeating rifles in our company. And that was a really cool, um, Florida connection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, um, one of the coolest moments in that event. So those, uh, the, the, the the Ohio volunteer guys from out in Montana, the cavalry guys. Uh, so they were out in front of us, right? And uh, all of a sudden, we're we're kind of out front, being the flankers and advance guard for the federal force coming in on Friday afternoon. And all of a sudden, you just hear this clanking, rattling, and everybody's like, "Get out of the way!" And this horse comes rolling through with the saddle had had shifted underneath. I mean, stuff is just falling all over the horse, and we're like what the heck like what and it, that was one of the most real moments i had because it's like where's the rider did the guy like get you know quote unquote shot i mean it was just it was this confusion what is going on panicked horse you know the guy's gears going i mean and that, that was a really neat 
moment, small moment. Um, and then uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously the ones, you know, those um, the LR events like, you know, Distant Thunder and First Minnesota and Silent Machines and all those events are amazing. Warlike, um, they're all just fantastic. I, I just think it's some of the stuff that is kind of run, runs off. Um, you know, the Distant Thunder was really fun. Our company, yeah, I mean, obviously you were in it, you know, have uh, Mama McMullen cooking for us. The food was best. I don't think I've ever seen a company completely go through every little bit of ration that we had. I don't think it's yeah. a, not even like a freaking handful of flour went to waste. Um, you know, those, I, I really enjoyed, uh, uh, missionary Ridge, you know, we were Confederate and we were up on top of the, the Ridge up there and, you know, digging trenches. And we built, uh, we built a big, huge stone hearth that like reflected the heat back to us. And then we made kind of like a, a little oven to kind of cook in off to the side. But like, you know, um, you know, one of the times I'm happiest when is when like our guys are thriving and everybody else is miserable, you know? And our guys were sitting up there laughing and I think we had like split pea soup and I like look down and I just see like everybody else is quiet or like moaning and stuff. And you're just laughing with your buddies. Uh, that kind of, those kind of moments really make me feel good. Um, <laughs> but, um, what's another one? Um, what was the one that we did the winter quarters at Fort Donaldson defending the heartland? That was really cool with all the winter barracks built. Um, you know, Chris Henderson and AJ, all the work they put into our hut. We, you know, we found a stove, I think, on eBay for like a hundred bucks and all of us pitched in on it and drug it up there and put a stove in our cabin. Wow. And had it cooking, man. I think, I think, uh, Chris still has it, but I mean, that, we, so I work for a lumber company. So we were able to like find all this scrap lumber. And, you know, Chris came by, picked it up on his trailer and him and AJ went up and framed out the, the cat or the, the hut that we had, I mean, we had a front porch, we had a stove inside and we, and we used one of those big Richmond flies to kind of cover it up. Um, but just being warm and toasty in there, man, that, that was a good time. The drill field there was amazing and getting to work on the bridge. Uh, unfortunately, Chris split his toe. Um, oh yeah. Up there. You know, the most experienced woodworking ax guy is the guy, you know, that chops his toe off. So that's the irony of, of life, I suppose, but, um, yeah, it could be, he might've been trying to get out of work, you know, that might <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, well, and that was also, I think that was the last big effort before the pandemic too. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. That would have been February, 2020. Yeah. 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 Um, cause I remember we were all getting ready for Blakely. I mean, I, I'm sorry, uh, Bentonville that year. That was the weekend uh, I was getting married. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I wasn't going to Bentonville. I was getting prepared to get married and we had to, cancel everything for our wedding and change it all and still got married but yeah so uh my well, wife's uh determination to have the wedding was stronger than 40 rounds determination to have the event so, <laughs> <laughs> props to my wife <laughs> and i only say that because i know aj and i know all the work you put into it but i don't oh. say that so <laughs> oh my god no i'm still sometimes bummed about that one not working out but yeah, a lot of yeah 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 <laughs> But man, uh, but yeah, but no. Thank you guys for uh, for sharing a lot of uh, favorite events and all that, and it really gives uh, for those of you listening, it, it gives um, an idea of the of the variety of events that we do. Um, like you said, we have those immersive uh, campaign battle type events. We have living history events, or we have winter quarter stop events, 
and each of them in their own way give us a taste of 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 soldier life like that and whether it is chopping wood in camp or or a runaway horse i mean those are little vignettes that are easily something that a guy would write home about or uh write in his diary or memoir and and like you've even alluded to the camaraderie that comes with it you know these guys you know the messes during the actual war you know you would have four or, or five or six guys that would pretty much be together in camp, do all the details and duties together, fight together. And so you would uh, build those uh, friendships and stuff, uh, the band of brothers type feel in war. But, uh, and we get that and uh, we get a taste of all that uh, in reenacting. And uh, so that's, that's always an enjoyment, but, um, but guys, I'm going to jump around uh, with some questions and topics here. And I might go ahead and ask you guys, um, for both of you, what is your favorite battlefield to visit? Um, Austin, how about you? What's your probably personal favorite battlefield that you, you like to check out? Um, so I think I have two, and for very different reasons. Um, I think my number one favorite is Sharpsburg. Um, just the condition it's in, the terrain, the... I, I just something about that place, man. I just, I love it. You know, it's not, you know, it doesn't have as many monuments as Gettysburg, but it's, it's really well preserved. Um, I, my ancestors fought there. My, my ancestors were actually uh, in the 18th Georgia, um, which was brigaded with, uh, with the Texans that we portrayed um, this past weekend. So I got to be in the same, you know, quote unquote brigade wow. as a, uh, there so that was like one of the reasons i actually got to get out of my going to my cousin's wedding because i was like no um i've had this on the books for like two years now and this is my relative's brigade so i'm going to this that so sharpsburg's my probably in my number one um my number two is it's i really love lookout mountain um and going up and the reason I love it is I love going up there and uh, Lee White was talking to me the last time we were, when we did that Zuwab event up there and he's like, me and him are sitting up there. I think it was Lee White. Yeah. It might've been Lee White. And he's pointing out, okay, Hey, you see those, those buildings over there on missionary Ridge. That's where these guys were. And then, Oh, you see down there, that's, you know, the knob, uh, what was that little engagement that happened? Knob, Orchard, orchard, knob. orchard yeah you know that's right there and then he's like oh you know the cannons that were positioned you know here can hit down to where that kind of you know soccer field's at down there and just seeing seeing the chattanooga you know missionary ridge lookout mountain kind of what it would have been even though it's all completely developed and everything seeing it from that perspective because you can't move a mountain right a mountain's never going to change and, but the terrain and all that's still there and what it would have looked like with the Tennessee river, you know, and just, you literally see a bird's eye view of an entire basically siege field. I mean, that's what I love about lookout mountain and, and how being able to see everything. Um, and I know the guys that are going to the Craven house this weekend um, and doing that uh, living history with, with Pat. And um, I know they'll, I think they'll are coming to company down. Unfortunately, I can't make it, but that that's probably my second favorite battlefield because you can just, you can literally see the entire battlefield from one spot. Um, so that's probably my number, number two. So oh, it's beautiful. West. It's beautiful up there for sure. Yeah. And um, uh, I've been fortunate to do uh, one or two up there. Yeah. You can't beat that view. Yeah. And, 
But for you, Austin, is there one battlefield that you've never been to that you want to go to? Um, it's not. I mean, I guess technically it's not a battlefield, but it is a Civil War site. Um, yeah, that counts. Okay, so I want to go to um, Fort Jefferson on Dry Tortuga um, down in the Keys. Like, you have to take a ferry to get out to it. It's a brick fort basically sitting on a key in the middle of the ocean. And it's a Civil War fort. It was occupied by the Federals the whole time. Uh, it's, I mean, it's kind of like, it kind of looks like a, I mean, a Jackson or Pulaski or like, you know, that style. And it's really kind of hard to get to. They only let so many people go, uh, a day. Um, obviously you have to take a ferry to get to it. Um, it's not very well known at all, but it's, it's a really cool fortification. You should Google it. You know, if you get a chance down there and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's, it's a civil war fort on like this little key in the you know at the at the very end of the bo- uh, bottom of the keys but um that's when i want i want to go to so i don't know what why but i love seeing forts you know i like going to fort McAllister, fort sumter um i was in macon this past weekend and i went out to the cemetery where the forts were uh run through one of the rose hill i think it's rose hill cemetery yeah there's a, uh, ian mcmullen called and told me where i could find some of the fortifications but you can go and there's this modern cemetery and in the middle of it you're like oh here's civil war fortifications <laughs> they wow. run right through it and there's graves on them um you know like i, I fortifications kind of in i maybe it's something i like about world war one as well and the depths of it and stuff but yeah that's that's one thing i kind of like i guess so you know uh, i'm really looking forward to um attending uh fort clinch uh down in florida in january yeah lucky. um that <laughs> looks really cool are, are you not going to that no, so uh, we have a baby due um, oh. at the beginning of December. And, yeah. Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, right in the middle, right right at the beginning of December. So I think Fort Clinch is in January. So it's a little yeah. close. It's yeah. a little close to be leaving, uh, leaving oh, on around. It happens. Oh. It happens. As, as we all know, uh, we, we've known quite a few guys that had a, a baby come <laughs> right uh, during an yes. event. So uh, it happens. It happens. Yeah, Pat. Pat had one on his uh, on his event that he threw with defending the Heartland. Obviously, AJ had baby Wahatchee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Herb, you were really close to having one, weren't you? On an event, me? Yeah, the uh, second and third Westville event, <laughs> which is another amazing immersive event down at the old Westville site, uh, south of Columbus. Yeah, each time was my first child and my second child. So wow, yeah, funny how that works out, huh? It is. <laughs> it is. It's funny, but uh, uh, so Herb, how about you, Herb? Is there a, a favorite battlefield of yours that you like to frequent um, a lot? I will split it into theaters. <laughs> uh, Laga. Yeah, it's it. I, there's always something new there, and I had like <laughs> my, my direct ancestor was there in the 45th Tennessee right through the Poe field. He was seriously wounded there. So um, I'm always, always fascinated about that entire event or the, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the battle, the battlefield. And like I said, I always find something new there to go kind of track down or follow a, a regiment uh, route. And um, out East, kind of like Austin, it's like that whole Harper's Ferry, South Mountain, Sharpsburg, that whole triangle out there is just, it's amazing. It's scenic. There's not a lot 
of modern stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And like, it's easy to just get, I mean, it's easy to see how everything played out, especially at uh, Antietam and uh, just how everything played out on the north, middle, and south side of the battlefield. Those are, those okay. are my, I'll keep going, but I know we're kind of pressed for time. So those are my two big ones. Oh, yeah. And and I know you, you've you been around a lot. You've been to a lot of different battlefields and locations, but is there one that you've never been to, Herb? Yeah. Uh, using my uh, Western bias, I have never been to Fredericksburg, Chancellorsville, Wilderness, or Spotsylvania in a bulk of the Richmond-Petersburg area. I've I hit up the crater, uh, like driving through one time, but I haven't really hit up a lot of that. I like it's really five. nice that they're all so close together. So if you're ever able to make a trip, you can literally <laughs> yeah. end out of it. So that's very helpful about the Eastern battlefields. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Those boys never had hard marches. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Richmond, that hard road to travel, right? <laughs> we stuck in I-95 traffic. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, um, I actually just went to all those for the first time this past January. And the funny thing is, there was an ice uh, snowstorm, and and uh, all the battlefields were just covered in ice and snow. And so uh, most of the roads were closed. I couldn't see everything. You know, we saw what we could, but yeah. I really want to go back in summertime or springtime to kind of uh see the battlefields as they would have looked uh too but it, it was really nice going to fredericksburg and seeing a lot of snow it just seemed right pretty much oh yeah that's yeah, that yeah. is a good point yeah yeah so but, i think that time to tour battlefields personally is like the fall when a lot of the leaves have fallen down so you can see things better yeah. yes chickamauga if you get a chickamauga in the spring it's like well, there's a bush, you know, you can barely see anything in front of you versus if you go, you know, November time, it's, you can kind of see terrain a little bit better. Yeah. 100%. Plus less, you know, ticks and chiggers and all that good stuff. So, well, you know, and, that, and that's one big difference between Chickamauga and Gettysburg is, you know, two huge battles in the war, but Gettysburg is just so much more open compared to Chickamauga. Like there's not as many big open areas in Chickamauga. There was a lot of, uh, thickets, wilderness, <laughs> you're fighting yeah, out there. It was poor scrub farmers out there. It, it was hard uh, land to farm. So yeah. you didn't have these big sweeping farms that are out uh, around Gettysburg. Yeah. So, Even in Virginia, you do notice that between the eastern and western battle uh, battlefields, um, the land yeah. has been cultivated so much longer in the east. So you, yeah. know, you have these stone walls these cultivated plowed fields a cleared land where it's the battles are much more almost european-esque like with napoleonic where you can yeah. see things better um versus in the west i mean heck dang near every battlefield in the west is woods you know for the well, most all the western states are younger states they want yeah exactly yeah that's a good point that's really that's really a good point because yeah when you think about shiloh chickamauga atlanta campaign battlefields they're all wooded and yeah. uh yeah um it is it is it was the wild west the wild western theater back then oh, absolutely <laughs> there's a really good book i recommend um it, it's called two great rebel armies and it talks about the army of northern virginia and it talks about the army of tennessee um and all of the different aspects of it I mean, everything you can think of, the the men that made it up, their mentality, their background, 
um, on both, like, and who they're fighting against. And it also goes into a whole section on the logistics of the land, right? Like, so the Army of Northern Virginia, it, it's getting this, hey, it's a well-furbished machine. Well, it's also fighting in much more open ground where the communications are easier. You, you can see things better versus the AOT is fighting in these woods where even though they're, you know, commanders are their army commanders aren't as, as good. They're also given these harder tasks of, Hey, you try to command an army in the woods where you can't see more than a brigade in front of you. You know, it's very, you know, the only, the only battle that comes to mind in the, in the East is the wilderness, you know, that's, yeah. that's in the hard, hard woods versus that's pretty much dang every single one um, in the West. But I, I recommend it. If you can find it, it's, it's, it's a two great rebel armies. Fantastic read. I've actually lent it out to two people and I haven't gotten it back. One read it and then handed it to the other and I'm still waiting to get it back. So oh, I guess that means oh. it's a book. So uh, yeah. Well, uh, in that case, yeah, too, uh, for both of you, um, um, is there any particular um, regimental histories or memoirs that both of you recommend? Um, could be any, any union or Confederate or whatever, but uh do you have one, Austin, uh, that like a favorite memoir that you like to go back to a lot? Yes. Yeah, so I have, um, man. So, uh, one of my favorite is the, uh, my all time favorite is probably the Sith of Fires about the eighth Georgia. Um, and it talks. Oh about, yeah. That's a good one. That is it's probably my all time favorite because it does a great job of giving it a regimental history and then also tying in, you know, personal things, you know, talking about specific guys and their, and their thing and their thing and, their, and all that goes through. So it does a really good job of blending both styles. Like me, I despise a regimental history where you could literally take the history, you know, it'll say, I don't know, 16th Georgia, right. Or, or whatever unit. And you could literally take that name out and put like army of Northern Virginia in it. And it, you couldn't tell the difference, you know, like those kind of regimental histories kind of bore me where it's just literally the campaigns that they fight in. And then just does a little detail of where they're at. But, um, yeah, Sith the Fire, all-time favorite. Um, my most current one is um, actually Tom Leupold. He uh, he recommended it to me. It's called Feed Them Steel. It's um, it's by uh, Captain Lyle Lemon of the 18th Georgia Company A. I got it because my ancestors, were, uh, they were in Company B. Um, so I got it. I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like, he would have very, very similar experiences. So this sure. guy, he was a captain in that unit. Um fights all the major battles up until Knoxville gets shot in the neck and then gets taken prisoner recovers. And he ends up becoming part of the immortal 600. And so oh, wow. he has all of his whole story and experience for that whole time. So really neat book. Um, and one of the surprises that I had in it was that he specifically mentions one of my ancestors in, in his really, uh, I, I kind of had a hope like reading. I was like, Oh, that'd be kind of cool if he mentioned it. But, and then he actually did. He was on a, hospital duty um after um after seven days and he had an orderly um Ginn, robert Ginn, which is one of my relatives and he specifically mentions him and he was like you know i had an orderly to help me on hospital duty he was a great service i think he um post-war he was a teacher and you know prospered and then i was like wow that's my ancestor he mentioned and then i went and found my ancestor he wrote a, a newspaper article in the uh, late 1800s and he specifically mentioned captain lemon in his uh little clipping newspaper clipping so i thought that was really neat that these two guys knew each other remembered each other enough to both write about each other uh after the after the war so that's my current 
favorite one is the Feed Them Steel. It's my most recent one that I just finished. So I just got another one. It's uh, about the 66 Georgia. It's called Last to the Fight. They were the last Georgia regiment formed. Um, and I've just now started that one. But those are my three right now. So <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, you'll treasure that one with the 18th uh, with the Ancestor uh, Connection. Absolutely. Uh, that's awesome. That's really awesome. And, They're also uh, my favorite regiment as well, the 18th Georgia. So. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, they have a great record as far as uh, the amount of big engagements they were in, too. Uh, so uh, there's a lot there, a lot there for sure. And, um, um, and well, you know, we could touch on that uh, in future episodes, too, uh, just the involvement of um, all these Georgia regiments and in, in these campaigns and also uh, the big campaigns in Georgia, Atlanta, Chickamauga. Uh, there's a lot there. But, yeah, the 18th Georgia is compelling because they're one of the few that fought briefly in the west and overall in the east but uh those are badass regiments that, that had to do that but uh herb uh, do you have a couple of favorite uh memoirs or regimental histories that you go to a lot or, or you would recommend uh yeah i'm gonna actually throw a bone to the transmiss um there's a it's called testament a soldier story edited by benson bobrick and it's the his ancestor's diary of benjamin uh backer and it was he's a soldier of the 25th illinois regiment and the thing that really stood out to me was just the sheer insanity of this force march that these men had to make to get over up and over the boston mountains up in northwest arkansas if you ever driven up steven you've been out the p ridge right yeah oh yeah. yeah you know driving up that interstate right before you get to fort smith and you go north up to bentonville that is some rugged rocky nasty terrain and this <laughs> guy, yeah and they were marching through this in a snowstorm oh my god his, his feet were like completely frozen solid and they were just busting butt to try to get over these mountains to put some distance in between them and the confederates and they were trying to consolidate and set up that line along that stream. And of course, Van Dorn goes around them and tries to get behind them past Elkhorn Tavern and Pea Ridge. But it's a the, the rest of the book's kind of forgettable. Not trying to discount the man's service, but like that whole section on early 62 is just it's insane. It puts like any hardship. And like I said, I'm not trying to discount anybody's experience in the war, but it, it's like the craziest thing that I've ever read or one of the crazier accounts. And that's like the union one. And for, um, there's a, there's a website. Well, so when I did research for the, uh, sailors Creek event, we were doing the uh, Savannah volunteer guard, the 18th battalion. And I found a website from a lady who's, uh, I think it was her husband was related to major Bassinger, who was a commander. And I found like she had scanned and transcribed his accounts. So I found a bunch, like a treasure trove of the service outside of Charleston when they went from Savannah to Charleston and just how terrible it was being in the uh, bomb proofs during the Battle of Fort Wagner. They were getting bombarded and they wow. had come over to try, they were trying to get over to support the fort and they were just getting slammed by all these shells from the Union uh, Navy. And then it talks about, him getting that unit getting sent to the Richmond area. And they got sent out to out towards Appomattox for a while in the middle of 1864. 
And they apparently had the most cushiest job guarding these railroad bridges, like going out towards Farmville. And he met his wife, uh, the lady that became his wife. He met her at one of these homes where they were invited to come and speak and uh, or not come, come in, like talk about uh, just be social time, I guess, is the best way to describe it, not to come speak. But uh, it was super fascinating. And, and then, of course, it, it leads his accounts lead to the P Ridge or not P Ridge, sorry, Sailor's Creek. And just he he was captured, of course. Uh, slightly wounded and captured. He wrote his after-action report for uh, Custis Lee, who's his division commander, in 1866 when he got out of <coughs> imprisonment, like later in the summer of 65. And he finally wrote his AAR and sent it to Custis Lee. So if you ever look <laughs> at the date on it, it's it's definitely way past the date of Sailor's Creek. Wow. Uh, Interesting. And, it's not in a book. It's on a lady's, um, I guess, it's like her blog website. And I, if anybody is interested and they want to find it, I'll, I've got the link and I'll send it to them. But I'm, it, I can't. I'm not going to read a URL outright. No, now. no, that's fine. <laughs> uh, apparently, his papers are up in University of North Carolina. So if you're up there and you want to research it, go to UNC. Awesome, so, and you know. Uh, uh, something that you also kind of uh, mentioned is um, I've read, I don't know how many transcripts of regimental histories and diaries and, and whatnot. And there are some that like um, th there was a one Army, Army of the Potomac regimental history I read that like they kind of skimmed over a lot of the battles or they or they kind of like I feel like a lot of regimental histories will like copy paste a yeah. generic history. It's almost like, wow. It's almost like it's like history of the 84th Pennsylvania, but then when they get to Gettysburg, they just talk about the entire Battle of Gettysburg and not necessarily the regiments involved yeah, in it. Yeah. And, uh, but but one thing I, I noticed a lot, and I, I found some some really awesome accounts. Like uh, it was one like that. It was uh, I think it was in the left of Corps Regiment, and like they they skimmed over the battle, but then they went super super detailed for the field hospitals after the battle oh, wow. yeah. and like detailed accounts of like each guy and all the, all the, I guess all these vignettes of different uh, wounded and dying soldiers. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like it just got really but, like you kind of like every other book has like a really good account that you come across. And um, yeah, so you really appreciate the, the stuff like that and the gems that you find when you're digging for all this stuff. And and uh, like you've said, too, I, you know, we can dig for these university libraries or uh, my personal favorites or some of these Internet resources like Internet Archive and um, uh, Happy Trust. And um, uh, there's some other ones out there, like some of these online, you know, college uh, archives that you can find like PDFs and downloads of a lot of these rare books. And yeah. um, so I frequent all those a lot. But. Um, but yeah, um, you know, as we're winding down guys, and like I said, you know, I probably just need to have you guys back on the kind of, we could deep dive into maybe some of the Georgia campaigns or, or something, because there's just so much, oh, um, totally to talk about, like just heck, we'll pick a specific regiment and just talk about, or two regiments or whatever. And I'll talk about that all day. 
I'm down. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and that's why um uh, I'm enjoying this podcast because there's really endless possibilities here. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so many different angles that, uh, that you can talk about for for so many different things and um and there's so many big campaigns involved in in Georgia, you know, uh uh, like I said, Chickamauga campaign, Atlanta campaign, and Savannah campaign. I mean, uh, all the all the different things, and and uh, so so I definitely have to have you guys back. But um, but I also want to give both of you like a, um, an opportunity to give some parting thoughts as far as you know. Obviously, we've mostly talked about living history, uh, reenacting today, but like um. um I guess if there's something you want to share, like uh, as far as uh, what all this um, history and reenacting means to you and um, as you continue going forward. For me, I mean, as far as like what it reenacting, like to me personally on what I get out of it, it's changed over the years. Um, you know, at first, you know, when you're a kid, it's the adrenaline rush, right? It's the, you know, battles and stuff like that. And then as you get older, you get into the histories and then after that, you know, you still get into the history, but you get into the relationships that you build. You know, it's gotten to, to the point now for me, like the car rides are just as fun as the events, you know, riding with, with my buddies. But I think from like the the public, I guess, perspective of reenacting is there's all kinds of different, you know, types of, of, of learn learning styles. You know, some people, they don't care about, words in a book you know but when they go out to a site and they see people and they see a tangible touch like they can see it you can smell something being cooked you can smell stinky people you can smell <laughs> horse manure you know you hear it you hear the sounds um getting tangible thing and it also personalizes in my opinion you know a lot of you know, people forget about the common guy, you know, the common man, the soldier in the, in the war, like, you know, people can get caught up in, Oh, the war is about States, rights. Oh, it's about slavery. Oh, it's about terrorists, blah, blah, blah. But like, when you look down at the, in, in the individual soldiers, right. The, Hey, why did, you know, James Lyle lemon, why did he go fight? You know, why did, you know, Robert Ginn, why did he go fight? You know, why did John Nash, the 40, why did they go in, in, those guys, it, they went because their buddies went. They went because they were bored at home. They went because, you know, the just common stuff, you know, get rid of, get away from your parents' strictness, you know. And, and I think that kind of people get lost on that. People get pushed on, like, political reasons and all that. I mean, the part I think is important is that there was, there was causes that guys believed to, to go and – and, and be in those situations that they were in, you know, like band of brothers, right. The HBO documentary, they do a great job of like, of it. They, they end up fighting with their, their band, right. Their mess, their guys. And, and I think that's the, the part that I like to portray to the public of these guys were individuals. They had personalities and those aren't always translated in, in history books or in statues or at battlefields, with monuments and such. So that's kind of me on, on why I do the reenacting and, and what I like to preserve aspect of it. So. Oh, and you know, uh, going back to kind of, we talked about world war one a lot uh, to uh, references there, but 
you know, World War One is a battle, I mean, a war too, where halfway through it, these guys have no idea why they're fighting. And it just becomes a story of survival and, and trying to get home. And and I, I think that goes for, for the Civil War soldiers too. You know, by, by 1864, soldiers on both sides aren't talking about cause and, and country anymore. They just want to get home alive and yeah. and um, along to see their families again. And um, so, yeah, any war gets to that point where it's just senseless, um, <laughs> where they're just like, why are we doing this? Just the drudgery and all that. And as, as we know, uh, some of those rough campaigns, late war in, in Georgia and everything else and, and late war, World War One, and, and all that. But but yeah, you're right. Uh, um, I feel the same way. You know, I just want to represent as good as I can. Uh, a Union soldier or a Confederate soldier, and and how um, their appearance would have been, and and how um, their experience would have been um, at whatever point in the war that we have the opportunity to uh, recreate. And um, and there's a lot of good opportunities ahead, and I look forward to all that. And I know the Army Guards will have a presence at uh, whatever events uh, you guys are able to, and and um, and then I'll keep. Uh, looking forward to uh, each opportunity as they come and but uh but herb do you have any uh uh parting thoughts tonight about good old georgia or anything in particular <laughs> i will try to keep this short so <laughs> i hadn't really austin's talked about his uh ancestors and how that was a spark for him i kind of grew into learning about the my people that had served on both sides of the civil war i've got the craziest connection to georgia through this is my only georgia soldiers connection there are two brothers that were born in east haven which is now new haven connecticut and the uh and their dad and mom they moved down to macon georgia in the 1850s and uh horace Grannis joined the ramsey's first georgia 12th 12 month uh unit he served in the Western Virginia campaigns and they went home and he was in a Georgia state line or excuse me, Georgia state troops cavalry unit. His younger brother, um, Edward Granis, he was in one of the Macon companies making up the second Georgia infantry battalion and rights brigade. And wow. he was mortally wounded on July 2nd at Ooh. cemetery Ridge. This is a, uh, that right. So kind of giving our nod to our buddies in Florida, this is where Wilcox's Alabamians and Lang's Floridians and Wright's Georgians were pushing at it. And by God, what was Carnap Posey's Mississippians? And by God, what was Billy Bark, uh, not Barksdale, but uh, Mahone's Virginians doing? Nothing. So I'm just throwing some shade on some uh, other <laughs> brigades and uh, Hill's yep. command. But uh, yeah, like I wanted to know why these guys came down and then why being in Connecticut born, why were they joining a Confederate unit? But what Austin alluded to, it's this is what their friends were doing. They didn't want to be considered cowards. So um, and kind of going along with that, doing more research, which is why I really like this hobby, is my direct ancestor on my dad's side why did he join this 45th tennessee later in 61 because all the quote-unquote guys that wanted to go out on an adventure or didn't want to see uh, be seen as a coward they joined these earlier war regiments so why was my guy waiting 
longer and longer to join. So that's stuff I'm digging through, but that's kind of the stuff that I really enjoyed as I've kind of gone on from like what Austin was saying from going out and playing army at a reenactment and doing all these crazy events at all these different sites. And now it's like trying to connect some dots of places that I've been that have a direct uh, family connection with me. So, and Oh yeah. It's fun. It's, it's fun. It's compelling and it's exciting. And uh, it, it really adds a lot to the interest there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do hope to get back out <laughs> sometime in the near future, but it's one of those things that, uh, that Austin, Austin, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but you're, you'll find out with a, a newborn about a uh, time management and having to juggle things. I'm, I'm sure you've already, uh, I, I know you already know about that already, but, uh, yeah. it's just one of those things trying to find like the one thing I haven't done or, Hey, I've got some free time. Is there something going on? That type of situation. Yeah. Because, uh, like well that goes back to the fact that this is a hobby and yeah. it's something that we we do in our spare time and we're really committed to it but uh but yeah there comes a time and when all of us have been doing it for so long that yeah you do get nitpicky with where you're spending your time and, and where you're going and um but yeah we all try to get out to what we can and make the most of it and um and there's always uh, hopefully another opportunity down the road and We'll get the old band back together again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Uh, well, Herb, I'm I'm just still waiting for you to come out with that uh, new battle study of Gettysburg on, on what went wrong with Mahone and Posey. <laughs> that, that will be. They had, they had a case of the meat sweats, and they uh, <laughs> were in this weird carbo overload, and they just couldn't move. <laughs> General Pinkett's buffet was what filled them up. Yeah, <laughs> hold on, Austin. That's what it was because I mean those units weren't that far from where General Pickett's buffet is currently. So the, and the Bliss Barn, which no longer stands, burned down. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, uh, I will leave that that one quote that I always uh, of all the official battle reports at Gettysburg, I always like that quote from Wright, where he says we were complete masters of the field. Uh, uh, that's always fun. I mean, it was a little, it was short lived, but yeah. for a moment, for a moment on the evening of July 2nd, the Georgians were masters of the field. <laughs> Goodness. Oh, man. But guys, guys, thank you a lot. Um, I really appreciate you guys' time and uh, uh, the conversation. And, and like I said, yeah, I need to have you guys back on and we can deep dive further into uh, some Georgia history campaigns and battles and what have you. So uh, I would definitely like, like to have you guys back. Like a, a drunk history version of it. They already did the great locomotive chase, drunk history. We need to do like Atlanta campaign drunk history or something like that. There you go. <laughs> if you wanted to do an on, you could do an on-site, we could do uh, an on-site podcast on the train ride and I could attempt to reenact the old Confederates versus Cowboys or Indians at Stone <laughs> Mountain. Hopefully we don't get kicked out of the park, but I could give you a little taste of uh Living history in the seventies and early eighties, early to mid eighties. If you can make that happen, I'm all in. <laughs> I mean, I can make it happen. We just need to be able to be ready to run when the authorities get mad at us. Well, that's part of the uh, locomotive chase. They 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 were on foot for a little while. That is correct. And what I have on my side is a very very deep knowledge of the trail network of Stone Mountain Park. So I think we'll be okay. 
Yeah, you can get upside down. <laughs> oh man! In, in, in all seriousness, it would be fun to kind of do some kind of remote interview, like a Chickamauga or something, where we could uh, kind of have a landscape behind us while we talk about these things. But oh yeah, uh, but then Stone Mountain is an epic landscape. It so. is. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll meet for the light show. Yeah, let's all meet sometime. Yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> Listen, General Laser Lee at the Laser Show. Brace his laser sword over his knee and both parts of the sword reunite to form the Union. I mean, that's all you need to know about the Civil War. Yeah. And Elvis. <laughs> and Elvis. That is that's a right. with a capital F. That is, that is, that's how it was won. He broke his sword. And that's what <laughs> Appomattox. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Uh, we'll, we'll release a real history, uh, drunk history episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, uh, again, uh, thank you guys for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, definitely, yeah, we'll, we'll do something again. But, but thanks, guys, for uh, coming on tonight. Absolutely. No problem, Stephen. Love to do it again. Yeah, and uh, we certainly will. And Austin, again, congratulations on the little one on the way. And yep. Herb, congratulations on all the Transformers and uh, action figure collections. Uh, we could have a podcast just about that sometime. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I tell you what, man, lining, lining up the GI Joes for uh, different commands and formations is a heck of a lot easier than reenactors. There, there you go. There you go. You found out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, I keep waiting for your Lego recreation of the Battle of uh, Sharpsburg to come out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, guys, well, you guys have a good evening. Thanks again. And uh, thank you all for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.